You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 252 of Podcateers. This week we discuss some additional changes Disney has and will be making as they prepare for the opening of Galaxy's Edge, including changes to Adventureland and the Disney app. We also talk about the teaser for the new Star Wars movie and the big title reveal coming from Star Wars Celebration. We finally know what will be coming to Disney Plus and the price when it launches later this year. And Gavin continues our talks on Toontown by telling us about Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. If you'd like to share your thoughts on anything that we talk about, we encourage you to join the conversation by leaving a comment on the blog post for this episode at podcateers.com slash 252 or connect with us on social media. Just search for Podcateers on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. Remember, that's spelled P-O-D-K-E-T-E-E-R-S. You can also check out our YouTube channel, and while you're there, we would love it if you take a moment to subscribe and maybe even hit that bell icon for notifications whenever new videos are posted. I'd like to remind you that this episode of Podcasters is brought to you by the support of listeners just like you via their monthly contributions on Patreon. We like to call those listeners our podcast fairy godparents, but they call themselves the FGP Squad. If you like the podcast and would like to help us out by becoming a part of the FGP squad, you can find out more information on how to do that by going to podcasters.com FGP. As always, a huge thank you goes out to the FGP squad for their support. If you're not able to join the FGP squad, but you still want to help us out because you like what you hear, there's a simple thing that you can do. The next time you need to buy something on Amazon, start your purchase by going to podcasters.com Amazon. Once there, click on the large Amazon button. It'll take you to Amazon's homepage using our special referral link. And anything that you buy will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on this podcast. If you're already doing this before each purchase, we'd also like to take this opportunity to thank you as well. And with all of that, it's time to jump into this podcast. So here we go. This is episode 252 of Podcateers. Yo, yo, right. DJ Hazen on the mic with DJ Gavin and DJ Mel. That should never be said again. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys know it's Dapper Day weekend? Uh, sure yes. did. I, uh, Best people watching weekend of the year. Yeah, I did not get a chance to go. We had Aww. some family stuff. Me that was going on. I haven't necessarily participated in many Dapper Days in the last year and a half, I would say. Right, right. And I mean, I, I'm kind of conflicted because I like Dapper Day because, like you said, it's one of the best times to people watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I'm not I'm not horribly hurting about missing it. And right. that kind of bothers me. <laughs> I will no. say that this weekend has been has had shockingly low crowd levels. Interesting. Dapper Day weekend is usually a busy busy weekend. And 
we were there basically all weekend. Um, we did 13 and a half hours on Saturday, like literally all day. And then we did most of today. We were there from rope drop until about 4.35. Lucky. Um, and yeah, we did a lot of people watching. But usually on Dapper Days, like the crowds are just impenetrable because it's just throngs and throngs of people. And even the ride queues get long. But we didn't have any trouble, really. Like, towards the end of today, like, in the afternoon, that's when it usually gets the busiest. And it was starting to get busy around the time we left. But I don't know. I feel like more and more people are less invested in it, like you, because it has evolved and changed and become kind of a different thing. But it still seems to be inspiring a lot of creativity, which is why I like being there and seeing that creativity. Right. Uh, how hot was it today? Because I know that's played into whether yeah. or not people go early in the past. Sure. I don't remember. I don't think I looked at what the temperature was, but it did get warmer today than it did yesterday for sure. And there didn't seem to be any good breezes happening. So that might've been part of it. Um, but I don't know, like with the food festival going strong and with Dapper Day, I was really surprised. Now, yesterday, a lot of passes were blocked out. So I know that that was a big factor. Um, Today, they weren't, though. So I'm not sure what exactly it was. But I'll tell you, we did almost a whole day of just people watching today. And it was a whole lot of fun. Plus, I think the expo has gotten much larger and larger every year. So Mm -hmm. it's not just vendors selling things that they create anymore. Now it's like a big production, you know, with dancing and all sorts of other Mm -hmm. stuff. So maybe a lot more people were hanging out at the expo in an air-conditioned room versus walking around getting sweaty in the park. Yeah, I think that they, they like to socialize there and take a lot more pictures there. And in the parks, what's the main Dapper Day photo op? It's the castle. The castle, And the castle's behind the scrim right now. Yeah. So maybe that's it. Oh, you know what? Talking about the castle. Uh Okay, so I retract my comment saying I wasn't there, but I was. (laughs) We're just going to gloss over that. Ground level pieces, (laughs) I guess you would call them the turrets as well. Uh Um, They're really pretty looking. I don't know if like that's to come like that's what we're going to see on the castle are you talking about the things that are out on the outside of the moat that mm-hmm. are like where they have some of the projection things and stuff hidden like those yeah oh, i haven't looked at those yeah i didn't I know that them. they had updated those as well yeah they finally uncover them ah. and they have some cute little um you would say in addition to them there's mm-hmm. like a little door to it to one of them okay it 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 kind of makes it look really nice. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to them unveiling the rest of the castle at this point. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm looking forward right. to the end of Project Stardust as a whole. There are so many things behind walls and scrims and, you know, temporary railings. It's kind of, it's such a pretty time of year at the park with all the flowers and the, mm-hmm. the flowering trees. It's It's really beautiful, but everything's got a construction wall in front of it right now it's kind of it's putting a damper on on my vibe yeah and we're about to get more of it too because 
I mean, you guys know this last week, they filed the permits to demolish the Adventureland yeah. sign right in yeah. front mm-hmm. of um, the Tiki Room. And I think a lot of people were up in arms about, you know, bringing down the iconic sign, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but hasn't that only been around since like the 90s? Yeah, it's been changed since opening day. Yeah. So it's not a, yeah. So I it mean, it doesn't have 60 years of history or anything. Right. I, I think right. that if it was a, like one of the park originals, I would be a little yeah. bit more upset about it. But because it's been changed and because they've already said that they're just enlarging it so that it goes from one side of the walkway to the other. Because if you're familiar with that walkway, there's like a weird little canopy on the right-hand side that it's attached to, which wasn't really yeah. walkway before. It was expanded to allow more yeah. foot traffic because it always created a bottleneck when people were getting their dole whips. So mm-hmm. the fact that they're enlarging it and then they're they're taking those pillars down and that little – I'm going to keep calling it a canopy. I don't even know what it is. Um, yeah. The weird half hut – that's on the right-hand side. Sounds That's good. good. I mean, we need that extra walkway. Uh, yeah. You guys may have known, uh, or if you've been to the park recently, you may have seen that the walkway between Adventureland and um, and Frontierland Frontier had been blocked up because they were removing walls. They were removing pillars. We lost the water fountain that was there. All in the the sake of enlarging walkways as part of Project Stardust. So mm-hmm. this is going to continue. And if they're going to bring back just another version of the Adventureland sign, hopefully it looks semi, you know, close to this one, if not closer to the original one. I don't know. Yeah. Would be nice because I think it'll soften the blow for most people because visually when you go to the park... You know, how you feel about being there has a lot to do with that nostalgic factor. Sure. And I think that's why so many people are upset about these changes that you go one day and it's not the Disneyland you knew anymore, you know, but it's the Disneyland you're going to know and that the Mm -hmm. one your kids Uh are going to know. And why not just create new memories at this new Disneyland, (laughs) you know? Right. (laughs) Right. And it's been said many, many times the park will never be complete. Right. Yeah. Right. It's crazy to me, though, that, I mean, we're only a month and a half away from Galaxy's Edge opening. And they're they're just now filing paperwork for something like that. It seems like Project Stardust, like this stuff should have been wrapped up either by now or soon. And like a project like the Adventureland entrance, that should have been six months ago. Right. You know, it's really I don't know if it got hung up in red tape or or what but that that's kind of crazy to me because we all know that the bottleneck of bottlenecks is basically all of adventureland which they've done a lot of things already to address and they've done a great job with it um i'd love for them to remove that extra piece of tarzan's treehouse but that's never going to happen i don't think but doing this entryway redo is a great idea I just think they should have done it a while ago, you know, because now it's going to be probably under construction still while the throngs of people are showing up for Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of bad because soon Grand Night's going to start. So on top of like crowds and then you have those who come in early for Grand Night, 
that's usually one of the busiest times. Yeah. You know, I thought about that same thing too, Gavin. And the only conclusion that I could come to is they they had a lot of money that was set aside to build this massive hotel and this massive extension to the resort at the end of downtown Disney. So a lot of the money that I feel that they would have used to beautify the park was being ported to the hotel. Once they knew that the hotel wasn't going to happen, it reallocated a bunch of funds that would allow them to do things to the park that they originally wanted to do, but couldn't because the money was hung up in the hotel. And that's kind of why I feel like some of these things are rushed at this point. Um, At least when I kind of thought it through, it was really the only thing that made sense to me. Mm -hmm. You know, so I could be wrong, but I mean... Yeah. As as we get closer, they have uh, they've essentially said that they want that walkway done by the May 31st opening. Yeah. And it's it seems ambitious. Yeah, it (laughs) seems ambitious. But we've seen crazier happen. I mean, when when they put their minds to it, they I mean, you know. Okay, so speaking of crazy and and I want to get to. jesse's critter carousel because i know that one of us got to finally experience it um not me but over in dca there's Uh a attraction that's under refurbishment that shocked me today so they're refurbishing the silly symphony swings and the refurbishment meant that they took the entire structure down like what the heck they removed the entire ride I've mm-hmm. never seen that before. That's that's insane to me that that's how they are going to refurbish that. Well, Have Astro they, Arbiters, yeah. they were doing that too. Did they take the whole ride out? The whole thing is yeah. out, yeah. I haven't well, noticed. Well, no, it's back. It's well, back I mean, now, whenever they refurbished they, it, they've essentially taken the entire structure out. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. I did not know that. We noticed <laughs> it today or maybe yesterday. And... Uh, I was shocked. I and I I had a like a, a bit of a heart palpitation. I'm like, it's not going away, is it? Like it can't Aww. leave. <laughs> I love that ride. Um so I thought that was really interesting. But also on a couple of rides of the Incredicoaster, um, I've been able to see that the inside out attraction is coming along and they have the kind of the background set in place Ooh. for the emotional whirlwind is that what they're calling it yeah yep yeah so you see like a whole backdrop of that um like shelving unit with all the different colored orbs memory orbs or whatever they are cool um that you're gonna like be whirling around in so. wait is it painted or are they like physical orbs that you can kind of touch Oh, it's three-dimensional. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. It looks pretty cool. It's hard to tell as you're zipping by on Incredicoaster, but yeah, it's it's really starting to take shape. Um, so it's it's kind of neat that it's one of those because of where it is, it's hard for them to like hide it from like the Incredicoaster or probably even um, the Pixar Pal around. around. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of watch it happen as it goes. Ooh. Cool. Yeah. Talking about Jesse's, I kind of understand why the attraction went down many times. Because when I got to ride it, there's some creaky, like, going on. Really? Yeah. So, as, you know, you hear, and it's, like, the same, in the same motion. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know if 
something is going on. I don't know, but I'm like, I've never heard a loud alarming sound off of an attraction. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm writing and it's like creak, creak, like every it's, so often. I wonder if they changed the mechanics of how the critters move as compared to how the things on King Triton's carousel moved. And that, that new motion is causing friction with something else. I don't know. It's it's so weird because the the carousel concept has been around longer, really, than any other amusement park concept. Like, it's kind yeah. of the original, right, as far as mm-hmm. motorized attractions goes. And it's a fairly simple mechanism. So it's it's weird that they've created a problem where none previously existed. Mm. It would be interesting mm. to know how often it's gone down since opening weekend and yeah. how often they've kept it open. I haven't heard or seen many posts about it as much as I did on the first day or two when it sure. first uh, came around. Maybe people just decided to stay away until they see that it's been open a little bit more and they get the kinks out. But, I mean, it is... It is almost summertime, so if they're going to have to yeah. do that, they they better start working on it soon. Yeah. Right? Melissa, did you spot any yeah. of the hidden Mickeys? I spotted two. Nice. Yeah. I, I know of two as well. I don't know if there's more than that, but I know of two. So. There's seven. Shit up, you. <laughs> you don't know. But you know what? <laughs> I got I to gotta give props to the team that worked on the mural mm-hmm. because... Super you cute. Can see the, yeah. yeah and agree. you can see the paint strokes and everything. Mm-hmm. So oh, that's cool. It, it's really yeah. cool. I was just staring at that for a while. Oh, yeah. It, really it's cool. really well done. I, I appreciated mm-hmm. that, too. I finally saw a picture of Jessie outside of the carousel, by the way. She's adorable. She's huge. Yeah. I know. And at first, I didn't understand the magnitude of size that you were talking about when you first yeah. told us about it. And then yeah. you said, oh, well, you know, well, considering how big Potato Head is. And I was like, okay, I can kind of see that. And then I saw her. I was like, <laughs> oh, whoa, that's not what I was imagining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so, really yeah, cool. I love it. I love the pose that she's in. And I love how mm-hmm. animated she looks. And, and they did a really, really good job with that. Yeah, I can't wait to I finally agree. write it myself. Hopefully not yeah. creaking. It's cute. <laughs> it's cute. But, you know, I, I, I wish they would have done something bigger for Pixar Pier. Something well, new. Again, space. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. It's always about space in always California. about space, yeah. Ah, we envy you, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and every other it's state. Not the weather. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> what else? There was a couple big changes to the MaxPass system this last week that yeah. I think are going to be really good. Yeah, I'm excited to partake in those changes myself. Yeah. Uh, Mel brought up that Fantasmic and World of Color are being added to MaxPass. That's mm-hmm. fantastic because, yeah. or should I say Fantasmic. Oh. <laughs> That's a dad joke, everyone. That is a dad joke. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's great because still having to walk over to those little kiosk things and getting a paper pass for these two attractions I feel for me has been a little bit of a bottleneck, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I mean, just the app is just making everything so much better, so much easier. Uh, we yeah. did the Disney play app the last time we were in the park and we went through Peter Pan and we found all those little 
uh, icon things that you're supposed to find, and it was super mm, fun. Yeah, you know, we got to do the trivia and everything. Uh, Very cool. I I love it. Like the more that I yeah. use the app for these little features, the more I enjoy yeah. going on these little missions and journeys to do stuff in the park. Yeah, they're doing a great job with both apps and um, the the Disneyland app. I'm still getting used to the redesign that happened a couple yeah. weeks ago. There are some parts of it, the parts of it I love. I love hitting that plus bottom at the bottom and all of your options for mobile ordering, fast mm-hmm. pass, reserve dining, like all those things come up in one little quick menu. I like that a lot. There are some other stuff where it's not as easy to like spot readily what things you're looking for. And we noticed that it's supremely easy now to accidentally delete your annual pass link off of yeah. your, oh, off of your I app. Didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie <laughs> did it like three times this weekend, just trying to, because what they do is they put this little text in the center of your screen that says, delete this ticket. And it's that's not a button in the middle of the screen. It's that whole center sections from left to right on your oh. phone. So if you happen to hit there as you're trying to scroll up or down, it treats it as you've hit that button. And so it just deletes it. So there's so it's no super easy. It doesn't ask you yes or no. Are you sure? No, you do it this? just deletes. It it's straight up delete. So you oh, just got to rescan your pass. That yeah, is one of those exactly. things that definitely needs a prompt. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Anyone in charge of UX design, there you go. Man. You got to add a prompt for that. That is not cool. I know. I know. But, yeah. you know, there are some other cool additions to it that are nice. I, I feel like they've done a good job of keeping up the development of the app in general. I feel like it functions much more consistently now. Um, I find the only thing that's consistently annoying is do, do either of you do the mobile ordering? Yes. Yeah. Every time I go to mobile order, I have to put in my password, like I'm yeah. logging in. I I and would like it to I don't just know pick why up on that your is. fingerprint or something. That's yeah, what I do. It's yeah. crazy, but other than that, it's awesome, man. I love that it it automatically applies your discount, your annual pass discount. It's yep. Man, it's so cool. I I love the app. It it makes a huge difference. Yeah. So. Going back to Fantasmic, yesterday we tried getting um, fast passes for it, and we got to the park like I want to say two thirty. Mm-hmm. They were gone. Oh yeah. Oh interesting. But Indy had fast passes at two o'clock, mm-hmm. which is like rare for a Saturday because they're usually gone. I'm telling you, there so, was nobody in the park on Saturday. It was awesome. So I'm wondering, like, dang, do I have to get there early to get? A fast pass for Fantasmic. It's just that threw me off. the The fact that that happened. Mm-hmm. I think for a while you might have to because yeah. right now it's the novelty of the availability to do it. And once it begins yeah. to True. wear off, people are just mm-hmm. not going to go see it, or they'll stand in line or do whatever. But I think right now it's just the oh my god, this is available in Max Pass. Let me do it so that I can post it on Instagram and show everybody that I could do it. Yeah. For the gram. You know, so (laughs) I I think that's with everything. Yeah. These enhancements that they're doing, 
whether it's adding max pass availability for attractions that didn't have it or um you know one thing we didn't talk about that i thought was one of the coolest tests that they've done with the app and mobile ordering recently you know talking about the adventureland sign going down a little while ago uh in late march uh, just a few weeks ago they tested the ability to not order in line in front of the tiki room for dole whips you can only mobile order so in order to try to reduce the Mm. bottleneck you could only mobile order and pick it up on your way there if you wanted to stand in line you had to do it at the tropical hideaway and so little things like that i think will eventually help out throughout the resort especially Mm -hmm. once we start getting into galaxy's edge because uh, i don't think we've seen an alternate exit or entrance to galaxy's edge right i I think there's a couple that are fairly close to each other there's a critter country one and then there's a frontierland one yeah, there's two yeah. in Frontierland. Oh, there's two in one, Frontierland. Okay. Yeah, and one um, beyond the Hungry Bear. Okay. In so country. I think so that three. as traffic begins to flow through those areas, it's going to be crucial that they really allow for more places to do that. Where it's just sure. a matter of, you know, swing by, pick up your turkey leg, and boom, you're off to the races. Yeah. You know, and who knows? Maybe we'll start seeing it with the corn dogs as well one day. Ha. Oh. oh my gosh! How great! Well, that? <laughs> where they need it, where they need it the most right now, I think, is at Market House and Fiddler Pfeiffer and Practical, because yeah. those mm-hmm. those Starbucks lines, y'all, they're always long. <laughs> yep. People so. need their caffeine, man. But but speaking of the Tropical Hideaway, we tried finally today the Raspberry Dole Whip, and Ooh. oh my gosh, we tried it too. It was so good. We tried it last weekend, and I tried the orange pineapple one. Ooh, I haven't had mm-hmm. that one yet. Guess which one I liked more. You liked the orange one. Oh, yeah, I did. So predictable. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, the raspberry one, when Lynette and I had it, we we felt that it was really great for a few spoonfuls. But after uh-huh. you you kept eating it, it just got way too sweet, and it was too strong. There was huh. something about it that oh. we just was not as enjoyable did as you, you continued the, eating it. Did you get the swirl or just the, the pure raspberry? Okay, no, yeah, we got we the did swirl. Too. Yeah, we got yeah, the swirl. Yeah, we did too. I freaking loved it. Really? But I'm a big raspberry guy, so. Ah, that explains that. Ah. That's probably the difference. Okay. Yeah, and the kids got the orange one, mm-hmm. and I just kept like, you know, eating that one. So I'm thinking like, okay, <laughs> I'm not a raspberry guy like Gavin. I'm yeah. like an orange guy. Yeah. You know, so that's what I need to eat. I need to eat me the orange swirl. <laughs> and it's crazy, too, because uh, there was one that I get, didn't get a chance to try while we were there. And um, Adriana, who's part of the FGP squad, had mm-hmm. tagged us on a post because they have a Dole Whip swirl with bacon bits on top. What? And yes. I know it's crazy. And I wanted to try it the last <laughs> time we were in the park and I didn't get a chance to get it. And something and all right, I need to go back. It's getting hot. Get a little savory, uh-huh. get a little sweet with that orange swirl. <laughs> Gotta be adventurous, man. <laughs> That's crazy. So um have you noticed? I just noticed today that they're selling uh limited edition sporks. The sporks, in there yeah. That look like little mm-hmm. wood carved sporks. I like them. Kind of cool. Yeah, they're like two ninety nine a piece. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I but was I gonna get seen, a couple. Are they doing like different versions? Like so you can because it says something like collect them all. 
but I, I didn't have oh, a chance I to like look I didn't through know. them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, the one that I saw just looks like the drummer from the Tiki Room. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But that's yeah, the little yeah guys up in the very top, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's so cool. I love that they're doing stuff like that because that those are also reusable. Oh. Gosh, I keep thinking of so many things that happened this weekend. Uh, <laughs> but speaking of reusable or not reusable, um, we've started to notice that location after location now is giving paper straws throughout the mm-hmm. park. And, ah. you know, we talked about that back when we did the Mickey's birthday celebration because it came with all those paper straws. Right. And we were all wondering how well that would work. So we've now had them with both cold and hot drinks, and we love them. Like, I I do anyway. I think they're great. You know, you couldn't, like, refill a drink over and over and over and use that straw all day. But it works just fine, you know. It's a great alternative that's, you know, not going to stick in a sea turtle's nose and create a sad video for us all to watch. It's going to fall apart yeah. when it hits the environment, you know? <laughs> so I I think it's awesome. I can't imagine, you know, a logical argument against it. Um, you know, before too long, they're going to do away with the plastic lids. And, you know, some places will probably have a paper alternative to those lids. But, man, I think it's great. It's a great step in the right direction, environmentally speaking, there's a huge presence now of recycling garbage cans. Basically, yes. next to every single regular garbage can is that. a recycling garbage yeah. can now. And, you know, it's so easy to just do a little bit, you know, for the cause of the earth that we all live on. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just thought it was cool that we're really starting to see the total follow through of Disney's plan with this. And it's coming to fruition. You know, most of the drinks we got this weekend didn't have lids. And we got paper straws. And that's all we needed. We were just fine. Uh, so uh, two follow-up questions for you on that. Mm-hmm. As far as you say you had them with both cold and hot, yep. which of the two drinks did you feel that it started to deteriorate faster with? And two, was there a weird aftertaste while drinking from them? Um, no more so than just drinking out of a paper cup on that second question. Um, you know, it's just like anything it can, it's different than drinking out of a plastic straw, but it's the same as just drinking straight out of a paper cup, you know, fair enough. As far as deterioration, I, you know, I don't think we had any drinks. We let any drink last long enough to really tell which one worked better mm-hmm. it, it i don't think temperature really affected it as much as just you know eventually liquid's going to start to soften it you right. know uh yeah. i think it's going to affect people more that have that oral fixa- fixation with straws and like to chew on them i think mm. they're going to get real disappointed real quick <laughs> but other than that i mean it's fine, you know. You know, unless you're gonna sip on that coke for an hour and a half, you're you're totally fine. Okay, yeah, I know people that just buy their soda cups or whatever drink they have, and they sit them, let's say, in a stroller, and they walk yeah. around all day with it, and they slowly drink away at that for eight hours. Yeah. I don't really think that this is one of those eight-hour drink mm-hmm. things. Like this is maybe right. one one and a half 
two hours tops, I would say, before you really just either have to get another one and you're going to start drinking pieces of cardboard, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I think you'd have to ask for replacement straws or bring your own, you know, reusable straw. Yeah. You can get a pack yeah. of those awesome little metal straws, even the ones that are like bendy at Walmart for like three bucks. Yeah. You know, and you can just wash those, reuse them in whatever drink you have. You know, there's easy solutions out there. Yeah. I will warn everybody about buying those because we have a set of those too. But the one warning I will give you is don't let it sit with soda inside of it because it becomes almost impossible to clean them, especially <laughs> when you get the really long ones. Rinse it out as soon as you are done using it or else mm -hmm. you are going to just have to buy a new one because it's a nightmare to clean if you accidentally forget to clean it out. Yeah. Those straws are fantastic, especially when you put them into a cold drink. It makes the drink even colder as you mm -hmm. are consuming it. But, ooh, if you have anything that is sugary, rinse that thing out as quickly as you can because <laughs> you will be sorry after. Uh, let's see. Oh, we can't go by this week without talking about some of the biggest news uh, that happened. And that is... Uh, actually, two really big things happened. Uh, there was a Star Wars celebration happening in yep. Chicago. Yeah. Star Wars fans from around the world got together because there was some Star Wars loving going on. And there was a lot of <laughs> announcements. There was a lot of panels. And we got our first teaser for the upcoming Star Wars film, which we also had a reveal of the title. Yes. So, Star yeah. Wars Rise of Skywalker is what we're looking at, or The Rise of Skywalker, right? Is yeah, that what it is? I think it's The Rise of Skywalker. It's the Rise yeah. of Skywalker. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, you know, I, I consider myself um, a, a fair Star Wars fan. I don't think I have been consumed with the Star Wars goodness as many other people have. I enjoy mm. them, I enjoy the characters, and I've enjoyed the storylines a little bit more than most people have. I was a little more lenient on The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens than I think most Star Wars fans were because sure. they come from uh, this fervorous fandom from when they were children yeah. uh, that just uh, upset them when they saw these last two films. Considering that J.J. Abrams is back, Ryan Johnson has gone on record as saying that he's okay if J.J. Abrams goes back and he retcons uh, Ray's parents and all sorts of other stuff. What do you want to get from this film? Because the one thing that I'm hearing is, at this point, the trilogy's ruined. And <laughs> that might be going a little far, you know, but that's yeah. how they feel. What do you guys want out of this third installment to, to cap off this trilogy? I think I'm in the same position as you are. I'm not... I went to the movies to go see this trilogy, the last... Uh, the prequels i'm not i guess you would say the hardcore fan i i love the entertainment of it let's say compared to indie that's different you know i could quote everything blah 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 right so i'm just excited for the film and i actually people may not agree but i really liked all of them <laughs> i really did except for some of the episode one was boring but everything <laughs> else i mean was pretty good i don't have any expectations i i want to see action i want to see just I want to feel everything. Yeah. And I know I'm going to cry at the end. I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. 
I'm just overall just very excited for it. Yeah. I, I'm more or less in that same camp. You know, I've, I consider myself a big Star Wars fan and I've been a Star Wars fan for life. I wouldn't define my fandom in the same way as the modern definition of fandom where you have to have an encyclopedic knowledge and you have to be able to argue, you know, vehemently about, you know, canon and blah, 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 right? I just yeah. love the feel of watching Star Wars movies. You know, I, I grew up with them and that's what I look for when I uh, consume any sort of Star Wars anything. I just want that feeling of Star Wars, you know? I want to see mm-hmm. Jedis with lightsabers. I want to hear the engines of a TIE fighter. I want to see the Millennium Falcon in some way, shape, or form. And I want a sinister Darth Vader type villain, you know? Like, yeah. that to me is what Star Wars is. It's just, it's a lot of fun. It puts you in this galaxy, you know, populated with these iconic characters. And I just want to revisit that. And I think that that is where Star Wars is at its best. I think they really did a great job with Rogue One in encapsulating all of that. I think they did a a really good job in uh, The Force Awakens. And I didn't have a lot of problems with The Last Jedi either. I thought it was uh, very comical, which I think a lot of the Star Wars fandom kind of railed against. But... I've always felt that every long franchise needs a funny one, you know? Mm-hmm. For those of you Trekkies out there, everybody knows that Star Trek Four is the comedy in the series, and it's freaking fantastic. It's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And I kind of felt like Episode Eight was that way for Star Wars. I laughed out loud in the theater. I thought it yeah. was entertaining. I can understand some of the problems that some people had with it, but... I enjoyed myself, and that's what you should expect when you walk out of a movie. Did you enjoy yourself? You know? Yeah. And if you're going to put so much expectation and so much pressure, and you're going to predefine the only way that you're going to be happy going into a movie, then you might as well not waste your time, you know? And I feel like that's where so much of the Star Wars fandom has put themselves. They've kind of backed themselves into a corner where – they've almost guaranteed that they're not going to be happy, you know? And that's kind of sad. And it, you know, whatever. It doesn't affect me because I'm going to go into it with my own set of expectations, which are, you know, I love Star Wars and I'm happy to see more Star Wars. And if it's a good film, I'm going to like it. If they don't do a good job, then I might not like it. And that's kind of where I stand. I'm at, where we stand right now in the Star Wars universe, I'm probably more excited about Galaxy's Edge than I am Episode Nine, And that probably always would have been the case with a, a new land at a Disney park. I'm going to be more excited about that than a movie. But I think it would have been a closer competition maybe if this was like during the prequels, you know, because I think... I was more excited about those than I was this current trilogy. Oh, I don't know. It's hard to say, though. Yeah, I think the the prequels somehow got people to the point where they were soured by anyone other than George Lucas at the helm of these films. 
even though that was kind of his vision from the beginning, right? This, I feel, wasn't necessarily his vision. These are all new films that have that have started, you know, the new generation of Star Wars films for people. I really still stand behind what I said from when I saw The Last Jedi, that I felt that even though it mirrored the, you know, episode four, I really feel that uh, it was you done You mean on, The Force Awakens? On The Force Awakens, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. The reason I feel The Force Awakens mirrored episode four was because if this generation never went back and saw that original trilogy, they -hmm. could still get an entire story out of this. And there are a lot of people that it's, it's sad to say that will not go back and watch old films because the special effects just aren't the same. They're not there. They don't look like the ones today. And because of that, they're missing out on three remarkable films. So I think this was their way of resetting it for that type of fan. While at the same time, trying to find some kind of balance for the fan that already exists, right? They're investing Mm -hmm. in the future. And I know that's that's difficult for a lot of people to hear, but when you think about what they're investing in Batu and or you know the Black Spire Outpost, all of Galaxy's Edge, I mean that's where the future is for them. You know, investing yeah. in this extended universe that they're continuing to tell a story with. So I'm excited. Again, I wasn't as hard on those last two as most people <laughs> were, but of the two, the last one uh, did change a few things for me that I just didn't think would happen in the series. Uh, Also, I just have a quick question for you. You might know the answer to this, but did Darth Vader, was it just my imagination or did Darth Vader actually speak to Kylo at any point? No. No, he didn't. So he didn't Yoda him. Darth Vader has been dead for Kylo Ren's entire life. Right. But (laughs) what I mean is the way that Yoda would speak to Luke. Oh, no, not that not that's revealed in the movie, I don't think. Okay, for some reason I felt that in the scene where he yeah. destroys his helmet that somehow he hears Darth Vader's voice and he says, "Oh, I'll do it for you, grandfather," or something like that, and then he destroys his helmet cuz he's so angry. Yeah, I think it's you just him what? talking to himself. <laughs> The reason I'm laughing is because I could see Vader coming back, smacking Kylo upside the head <laughs> and being like, stop acting like a fool, dude. Like, <laughs> oh, man. I, just, I think I just Mandela affected myself. That's funny. <laughs> I, I honestly thought that that was a thing. And then in my head, I just had this entire like argument slash conversation, which, by the way, this is about to make me sound completely crazy. But in my head, I just kept thinking like, wait. But he's a Sith. Like, you can't do that. Like, you need to be a Jedi and use the Force, you know, in order to do that. Like, how could Vader do that? I was like, but wait, when he died, didn't he somehow redeem himself and then go to the light side? And then, like, he wasn't a Sith? This entire argument ensued in my head with myself. (laughs) (laughs) And by the end, I just thought, I need a beer. (laughs) That's interesting. I've never considered that question. But, yeah, we don't have any evidence of Force ghosts from Sith that have fallen we only have force yeah. ghosts from jedi but what so, about palpatine it's interesting we didn't see a force ghost of him no nope. but did you hear echoes or whispers or again am i mandela affecting myself on this 
I think you are. <laughs> well, you hear his laugh at the end of this teaser trailer. So they're indicating some sort of connection or possible resurrection or something, I think. Well, who knows? But I don't think anything's been revealed in the previous films at all. Yeah. Well, if they end up connecting it to the current comic books, I guess there's one comic book that recently came out or one graphic novel that just recently came out where somehow Palpatine was cloned. Mm. And that might be the case. I don't know. Maybe I'm okay. getting too yeah. far into this. Yeah, see, I and I that's where I, you know, differentiated myself as just a fan of the movies because to me that's what Star Wars is. It's a series of films. To some people it's also, you know, dozens and dozens of books and run after run of comics and TV shows and you know, they consume the whole thing. And to me, it's just a series of movies. That's yeah. really all I know and and love. It's a black hole, dude. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> once you jump into one thing, you start connecting everything in Wikipedia. And, oh, <laughs> that's 12 hours later. Wikipedia. I like it. <laughs> so, you know what we're going to have to do, right? Have what? 12 episodes dedicated to Star Wars. Oh, God, no. <laughs> 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 no, we're going to have to see this movie in 4D. <gasps> Ooh, I've never done that yet. Yeah. Oh, I got to see the last film. Really? In 4D, and it was the longest Star Tours ride ever. <laughs> I kind of yeah. want to see Endgame in 4D. <gasps> yeah. I, I would definitely <laughs> maybe, um, I'd definitely be down for episode nine that way. That, that yeah. could be cool. All right, let's set it up. I don't mind watching Endgame and this other film more than once. <laughs> Sweet. I've got it. a 4D theater that's like right basically around the corner from me. So That's the one we're talking about. You want to park, right? Yeah, the one at the, the yeah. source. That's the one we're talking yeah. about. Yes. I need to go over there. I haven't been over there yet. It's cool. All right, it's let's awesome. go watch Endgame. That's the closest film that's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I see Gavin slowly walking back into the bushes. <laughs> Classic. Oh, so speaking of Homer, speaking Uh, of Homer, one of the biggest things that we heard this last week that I'm just super excited about and uh, on different levels because I feel like all the speculation about this and what we talked about as far as what pricing was going to be and everything has been confirmed this November in the U.S. to start. We are getting Disney Plus. The price is going to be six ninety nine. Whoa! A month. I know that is a great price. And then a year is even cheaper. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be available on mobile and all sorts of connected devices like smart TVs, gaming consoles, uh, streaming media players like Roku, Apple TV, all that good stuff. It's going to be launching with Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo content, original programming. I think they said it was going to be like 25 original series, 10 original films and documentaries just in the first year. I'm like, I'm geeking out over this because <laughs> aside from all of that, they have confirmed that they are bringing back some of our favorite television shows. We're going to get mm-hmm. to see Boy Meets World. Uh, they're bringing yeah. a bunch of Fox properties. We're going to get all 30 seasons of The Simpsons, Malcolm yeah. in the so- Middle. Um, <laughs> I mean, mind blown. 
Yeah, uh-huh. it's uh, it's pretty incredible. I I'm impressed. I you know I we've we've been talking about this for I don't even remember how long at this point, but you know I always said that their competitive factor was not going to be the movies. It was going to be the Disney Channel and ABC television properties that have been lost to the annals of time. That's going to be what makes this thing hugely successful. And I think that at that price point, with those titles, this is going to be a revenue game changer for them, I think. And now I don't know what kind of investments they've had in developing this service, but I think they're going to make their money back and pretty quick. Oh, yeah, definitely. I I think I was most shocked about The Simpsons. I did not see that one coming. Like, all 30 seasons, it's... It, and plus the you, that intro. Yeah. You could <laughs> almost see that as one of the key reasons they went after Fox. If they because yeah. yeah. that's that's a huge flagship to have. And you know, the Danny Elfman connection and mm-hmm. you know, so many animators and writers um crossover into Disney. I mean, so there's a relationship there already, but I mean there's very few animated things that are as iconic as that, you know, even up against Disney. So, heck yeah, that's that's a huge win. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see because Disney made a lot of money leasing their content out to companies like Netflix. And I think uh, it made $300 million the first year back in 2012 when they started uh, allowing Netflix to stream some of their films. And mm-hmm. so that's a big chunk of revenue that they're going to end up losing as uh, on a yearly basis, right, from putting their content out there. It's going to be even more interesting to see how this goes on to affect Hulu because Hulu mm-hmm. has already been struggling and that was when Fox and Disney were two separate entities. Now that they're essentially one and Disney's going to be primarily pulling a lot of the content from Hulu, what does that do to that service? You know, does it continue? Does Disney offer those properties a chance to appear on Disney Plus? That, I think, is going to be a a big question mark that we're going to wait to see towards the end of this year. Seven bucks, I think, is a really great price point to get people in on. But remember, even Netflix started off like that. When they first started their streaming service, they started off at six or seven bucks a month as well. And as shows begin to stream in high definition or in 4K, 8K, bandwidth becomes more and more expensive. So Mm -hmm. uh, with 5G possibly coming into the U.S. within the next decade, Hopefully that will change things and they won't have to pay so much for bandwidth and they'll be able to keep this price point because I know Netflix has struggled with the amount of people that stream their product and they just can't keep up with the bandwidth. They have to keep paying for it. Plus, Netflix keeps paying for these shows that are massively popular like Friends and The Office and instead of people watching original content, a lot of them just do what I do, unfortunately, and just let the office play in the background while I work on stuff. Yep. <laughs> you know? yep. So, um, yeah, I, I think once 
Disney Plus launches. Um, I think The Office might get replaced with Boy Meets World playing round the clock while I work on stuff. You know, that's one of the iconic shows that I grew up on. I love that show. Uh, yes, I will take a break and watch other stuff that's there, of course. But um, as far as when I'm not paying attention and just playing the background, you better believe that Boy Meets World will be playing almost 24-7. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the amount of stuff that's going to be coming to the service is... Uh, there's a long list of stuff that's coming. I'm going to post uh, as much as I can in the blog post for this episode over at podcasters.com slash 252 if you guys want to take a look at it. It is quite an impressive list. On day one, we're going to get about 7,500 television shows and over 500 films is just impressive. I'm looking forward to see what's going to be there, how often we're going to get new content. And, you know, the fact that Disney's just moving away from this whole vault mentality and that everything is just going to be available for you is just a great move to be able to just go back, watch it whenever you need to and not have to try to find something on on a streaming service online somewhere for free or otherwise. (laughs) Uh, it's, It's fantastic. Let's wait to see what else is on there. And if there's anything in particular that you know is coming to Disney Plus, let us know in the comments. You know, join the conversation. Tell us what you're most excited to see on day one. Or even if you're going to get this, especially now that you know that it's only going to be $6.99 a month to have Disney Plus. That was a big question mark for a lot of people. And hey, we're getting the world according to Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) That's going to be one of the new Nat Geo properties that's coming on as part of the Disney Plus. So. If anything, watch it because of <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. That dude's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Before we continue, we're going to jump into our continued talks about Toontown. Gavin's going to tell us a little bit about Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, one of the coolest attractions in Toontown. But that's yeah. probably because it's one of the only ones I fit in. So that <laughs> could have something to do with it. But before we jump into that, I just want to remind you that this episode of Podcasters is brought to you by listeners just like you. We like to call them our podcast fairy godparents, but they like to call themselves the FGP squad. And if you would like a little bit more information on how you can help us out with a monthly or even one-time donation via Patreon, head on over to podcasters.com FGP for more information. To everyone that's on the FGP squad, we just want to say thank you. With that said, it's time to jump into this week's topic. Gavin, I'm ready for this, man. <laughs> Sweet. Let's do this. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Uh, it's it's kind of one of those chances um, to go down the rabbit hole, but not the rabbit hole you usually <laughs> think of. It's uh, a much a much zanier rabbit hole, and that's saying something. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, uh, what I consider to be the main attraction in Toontown. Uh, I think that's going to be a temporary status as we we're hopeful for the Mickey Mouse Runaway Railway in the future. Right. Which is hugely exciting. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to take a minute to look a little bit at the history of the film that inspired this attraction uh, before we get to the actual attraction, uh, because it's personally, it is 
one of my favorite live action Disney films. And it's also one of my favorite animated Disney films, uh, even though it was released under the Touchstone Pictures label. Uh, for most people, it's still just purely a Disney movie. Um, and it, uh, it was directed by the infamous Robert Zemeckis, who is an incredible director. And what he created with Who Framed Roger Rabbit is... Uh, it's a momentous piece, I think. It, it's a real moment in motion picture history, and it's been recognized by critics and fans, you know, ever since 1988 when it was released as a real, real gem in the catalog. And I feel like it also is, should be considered part of that original wave of the Disney Renaissance. You know, it kind of gets overlooked. You know, everybody wants to start it with Little Mermaid. But, and some people will go back to Great Mouse Detective. But everybody seems to forget that Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a mega hit right then mm-hmm. and really helped spur on a lot yep. of the creativity of the Disney studio. Uh, now, the movie itself was based on a novel by Gary K. Wolf called Who Censored Roger Rabbit, which came out in 1981. That very same year of its publication, Disney snatched up the movie rights to it. And it was actually Ron Miller who identified it and was like, oh, that's going to be a hit for us. Mm -hmm. So again, like the foresight of Ron Miller was so instrumental to like the Disney of our lifetimes. You know, the Disney that we experienced, Mm -hmm. he had such a fingerprint on. And I think he's overlooked in a lot of ways. Um, But yeah. So that that's kind of how this was identified and and snatched up. And the film became a huge success. It had a budget of only 50 million dollars, which is incredible when Whoa. you think about it. Especially the, all of the <laughs> technology that went into it. Um and all the rights. Yeah, all the licensing. I mean, licensing was a a different beast back then than it is now. Now everybody wow. has to pay through the nose, right? But they worked out a deal, I guess. And so on a budget of $50 million, it made $330 million, which is huge for 1988. Wow. Um, so it was a big success, you know, and, you know, for, for good reason. It's such a well-made movie. If you've never seen it before, I totally recommend it. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a synopsis here because it kind of sets up the ride as well. So basically, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a murder mystery story that's set in a fictional Hollywood of the 1940s. This Hollywood, where it exists, sits next door to another town called Toontown that's actually populated by cartoon characters. And in this fantasy world, humans and cartoons intermingle. And, you know, all of the cartoons that were shot in Hollywood, you know, the premise here is that it's just cartoons that are hired they're cast in roles and they're hired to do their job acting in cartoon films and so it's a really cool vehicle for telling a story like this and basically our title character of roger rabbit is framed for murder and he tries to hire the most famous private investigator who defends cartoons um, who is reluctant to do so because his brother was murdered by a cartoon um, a couple decades earlier. So it's already got that dark, gritty, like 
crime drama from the forties and fifties, like film noir kind of feel to it. Um, and it just kind of goes from there. You know, we, we find out that there's this, uh, villainous character named judge doom who has finally found a way to actually effectively execute criminal tunes by dissolving their ink with his concoction called dip which is basically a mixture of uh, paint thinners uh, which is a really clever device as well and so you know I'm not going to spoil the whole movie for people who haven't seen it even though it's you know 40 no 30 something years old Um, shame on you for not seeing it first of all Um, second of all go out and see it tonight it's amazing but I just love the feel of this movie and I feel like it's, it's delivered in such a great way, but I think there are some interesting things about it too, that probably wouldn't make it into this type of a film today, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, um, and some <laughs> of those things even make it into the attraction and we'll talk about that um, as, as we move along. But I, I just love that it exists the way it does, because I feel like, especially since they released it under touchstone, they were allowed to get away with, you know, some of the things that make it a little darker, make it a little rougher and grittier, but also make that story so much more compelling. You know, mm-hmm. you've got murder and greed and sex and vices like drinking and smoking, which are not things yeah. I'm trying to be a proponent of here, but I'm saying they exist in real life and it made it gave that story some weight. So. All that being said, uh, there's a couple other cool things about it, which we've actually mentioned on the show before, and Hazen hinted at a minute ago. It's it's a property that is filled with IPs from various studios, most notably Disney and Warner Brothers. So it's actually the first official on-screen scene with Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny, for example. Like, that's not a thing that happens. It just doesn't happen. I mean, it's it's incredible (laughs) the amount of characters that you see. You see Betty Boop in this film and Yosemite Sam and so many iconic characters from throughout the history of American animation. And honestly, if you have not seen this movie, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's such a great film. So let's get to the attraction. Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. Ah, I have to admit that I, I sometimes forget about this attraction because it's tucked away in Toontown. And as a adult visitor to the park without kids, I don't visit Toontown all that often. And when I am thinking about my lists of favorite dark rides, I often forget about Roger Rabbit. And I'm ashamed to say so because it's a really, really awesome dark ride. Uh, it was opened at Disneyland almost exactly one year after Toontown opened. I think it was like a year and one day. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, so it wasn't like when Toontown opened, it was still being developed. Uh, so it, it didn't open with the rest of all those things, which... I didn't know. I thought it all opened yeah, all at once. Same. Yeah. Um, and originally, um, it was supposed to go into three resorts. It was supposed to go into Disneyland, 
Tokyo Disneyland and Hollywood Studios in Florida. But back in the day when this opened, which was 1994, uh, this was when Euro Disney was fairly new and struggling. And as we know from previous episodes, that caused a ripple effect in budgets for the parks around the world. And one of the things that got canceled was the addition of Roger Rabbit in Florida at Hollywood Studios. So it did eventually open in Tokyo two years later. Uh, So there are two Roger Rabbits, one here and one in Tokyo. But Roger Rabbit is a fully themed dark ride with audio animatronic characters fully dressed in intricate sets and special effects. From the facade to the queue to the ride experience itself, it is packed with details. That's one of the things that I love most about the ride is every time you ride it, you might notice something new. There's so much to look at. When you walk into Toontown, you're kind of facing that town center area uh, or town square. And a lot of people just gravitate left towards Mickey's house and all the playground and gadgets go coaster and don't see Roger Rabbit because it's kind of like back and to the right when you enter. So it's weird the way that it's staged, but you can almost miss it. But if you turn right and look at Roger Rabbit, it's such a cool building. And I'm always impressed with the facade. You know, it's one of the most detailed buildings in all of Toontown. And uh, I love how it features Benny the Cab basically bursting through the wall from the inside you know above the sign above the entranceway gives it some some of the energy that you can kind of expect from you know your experience that's upcoming and it melds in really well with the rest of the buildings in toontown but that whole end of town where you've got the electric factory and the mail, the post office and the gym and like all those, all the gags and things that you can kind of experience. Mm-hmm. To me, that section is drawn so directly from the film. Yeah. You know, that section of Toontown looks like the Toontown in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And, and that's why I love that corner of Toontown the most. And what's cool is when you enter the ride and get into the queue, the queue for Roger Rabbit is as fully themed as almost any attraction in either park. And it's awesome. Like, honestly, it's one of the rides where if you can get a fast pass, cool. But I recommend doing it at least once without a fast pass and going through the regular queue because the queue is themed top to bottom and it continues that feel of stepping into toontown from the film right uh so along the way and it's a winding queue and it even though it can be a long wait it feels like there's always something new to look at and something new to listen to something new to see it's filled with gags tons of jokes along the way there's audio clips that kind of tell you the story of some of the characters and one of my favorite scenes in the queue is something that I'm still surprised kind of exists and would never happen in a new attraction and that's the scene in the queue that features baby Herman Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
If you haven't seen the film, Baby Herman is a cartoon of an infant baby, but he's like 50 years old. So in cartoon land, you don't, you're not the age of what you're drawn as. You're the age of how old you have existed. So he's this crotchety, like old actor. Actor guy, How has that changed now? That well, because in point. all the teen shows, aren't they all like thirty to fifty? Uh, that that's fair. That's fair. Sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> Saved by the Bell, they were like yeah. thirty-five or something. Yeah. But so he's like this, you know, kind of crass, chauvinistic, you know, old Hollywood actor type who smokes cigars and likes the ladies. And so there's oh, yeah. this scene in the queue where you're peering in through some windows to see him chilling in his little baby carriage, reading the papers, smoking cigars. He's got a pinup poster of Jessica, <laughs> which is a really cool spoof of a Betty Grable poster, uh, which I actually kind of dig. But like just those few elements you would never get away with if you created a new attraction today. And in some ways, I'm surprised that that element is still there, especially the fact that right up against the window in the windowsill is an ashtray with big cigar butts in it. And it's like, they're about to ban (laughs) smoking from the entire resort, but they've still got this baby smoking cigars in this attraction, which is insane to me. But... Anyway, I love that little vignette that you see. So the the queue itself is an experience. And uh, like I said, it's it's worth it. Like to me, it's themed to a level not too distant from Indiana Jones Adventure, uh, Radiator Springs Racers, Haunted Mansion. Like those are the queues that we feel are like fully themed. You know, you, mm-hmm. you're part you the the experience begins the moment you step into the queue, right? Right. That's the same here. Like from the moment you cross into the building, you're in Toontown and you're experiencing it. And one of the cool things that they do is as you're entering the last set of corners, you actually get to peer through this kind of broken fence and see the beginning of the ride, which, you know, it, doesn't really exist in any of the attractions that I can think of like that. I mean, you can kind of see the outdoor sections of certain rides, but like you don't get to see like the beginning segment of Indiana Jones, right? Yeah. Like it's around right. a corner where you can't see. Uh, or it's a loop I, I just around think it, usually. Yeah. I just think it's a neat touch. You can kind of peer through the slats in this fence and you can see the cars taking off from where you're going to, uh, get in. So anyway, Q five out of five stars. I love it. And then we get to the ride, and the ride is interesting because I feel like uh, for people who love the movie, there is a slight—I don't want to say letdown, but a difference in expectation because the movie being filled with all those IPs that we discussed. None of that exists in the ride. It's only the main proprietary characters from the film. So to me, that's the only disappointment of this ride. Well, no, it's one of only two disappointments of this ride. Uh, And, you know, so don't get on this ride expecting to see Bugs Bunny. You're not going to see him. 
It's just going to be the main characters in the film. That being said, this ride takes off and it is scene after scene that is just filled with bright colors, amazing set designs, special effects, gags, jokes. I mean, it's got so much to look at. So the, the basically the ride starts off and you almost immediately encounter a weasel who's dumped a barrel of dip into the road. So you drive through this dip, which starts to melt your cab's tires and thus begins the spinning. Mm-hmm. So the idea of Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin is they've taken this idea of uh, a dark ride vehicle and combined it with like a teacup concept. So you're spinning out of control, but it's you that's controlling the spin. So basically your steering wheel makes the car spin, which if you're super strong, you can get it whipping pretty good. If you're a little noodle-armed wimp like me, <laughs> I can't do a whole lot of spinning. But the concept is still there. It's it's pretty cool. Always get in the purple one. It's the one that spins the fastest. <laughs> oh, okay. These are all yellow though, so I don't I don't know if oh, that applies. Always get in the yellow one. That's the one that spins the fastest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I think this. I like this concept, but I don't love this concept. So what I mean by that is there's so much to look at and see in this ride that if you're spinning the whole time, you miss out on a lot of it. And because of the way the vehicles are designed, you can't really not spin. Even if you're not trying to spin, it's still going to turn you in weird directions. So I kind of wish that just to put my armchair Imagineering hat on for a second, I kind of wish that there were just segments where the cars would just spin for you. You know, like you go through a little segment, like transitions between scenes, like, oh yeah, spin them 10 times as they go around this corner. But then as they go through the scene, it's kind of like, oh, we've kind of equalized a little bit. Oh no, more dip. And then spin between the next scene, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. The fact that you're, kind of spinning the whole time is the only other detractor for me for this ride because I feel like you do kind of either miss out on a lot or really strain your neck turning it back and forth trying to see Mm -hmm. everything because Mm -hmm. there's so much to see in this ride Uh, but basically it's just it it feels really epic too and it's it's scene after scene after scene of this kind of idea it's kind of a loose storyline where You know, the weasels are trying to get you. They're trying to pour the dip on you and you're trying to escape. You see Jessica a few times. You see Roger a couple times. And at one point, Jessica's tied up in a trunk. At another point, Jessica's escaped and she's nailing weasels on the head with mallets and, you know, winning. And, you know, so the storyline's a little loose. It's mostly about just kind of being zany and and cartoony which is fun, and I like that, and it celebrates that Toontown aspect of the film. So there's a couple scenes in there that I really like. The, the, my favorite scene is in the middle of the ride when uh, an explosion happens, and all of a sudden you find yourself falling out of the sky. Yeah. And they do this great 
set design where it's a forced perspective of you looking down into a city and you're basically falling between a bunch of skyscrapers and you're just traveling along the ground, but the perspective is flipped. So you kind of look like you're falling straight down. And if you just kind of don't think about it too much and you just kind of stare into the, you know, middle distance in front of you like you can convince yourself that you're going down it's really cool yeah. and there's the sound effect of somebody like screaming as they're falling and it's it's just kind <laughs> of a neat little scene and then you crash through a the roof of a building and you see roger rabbit looking up at you from a staircase yeah. and i don't know i just i really love that scene i think they did a great job concepting that um and then my other favorite moment to loop back to going through the rabbit hole is at the very end when the weasel almost sprays you with the giant dip machine. Roger's there uh, to help you make your final escape. And he does this classic like Looney Tunes kind of effect where he's like, look, I've got a hole. And he throws a hole against the wall and you drive through the hole and out through the exit. And I just... It's the simplest effect, but I love yeah. that so much. I, well I love that it's like a throwback to that slapstick idea of even back uh -huh. to the Mickey Mouse cartoons where it's like they can make anything do anything. They can turn a cow into an airplane, you know, like they could do whatever they want. So, yeah. Hey, I've got a circle. Oh, no, it's a hole. I'm going to throw it against the wall and you're going to drive through it. I just I just love it. To me, it is such a pure celebration of cartoons and the fact that it's truly filled with what we would consider to be classic gags mm -hmm. that to me, it also harkens back to the origins of Disney animation. You know, uh, I've talked recently on the show about reading Neil Gabler's biography of Walt Disney and in the sections where they're talking about those early days of Laughagram and the Disney Brothers studio, when they were doing those cartoons, it was all about creating gags. Okay. You know, everything was revolving around how many gags can we cram into this little short with this mouse. And to me, that's like a full circle thing. When they created Roger Rabbit, it's like a contemporary film but it's hearkening back to those days where cartoons, that's what their job was to deliver a gag. And that's what this ride does. And I just love it. I think it's a perfect fit for Disneyland. And I, like I said before, I wish that it was more prominently featured, but, you know, Disneyland only has so much space and this was the first time they had to expand beyond the berm for a land. Um, I don't think Galaxy's Edge will suffer from the same lack of exposure. Um, and I'm hoping that Toontown has a bit of a renaissance when Mickey Mouse uh, Runaway Railway comes to town. But for those listening that haven't been on Roger Rabbit or haven't been in a long time, totally recommend it it is such a rich experience and i'm ashamed to say that i i do forget about it from time to time because i just don't go to toontown but it's so worth it it's a zany hilarious 
awesome ride and yeah yeah it gets my highest recommendation i want to say even if you're riding and you're not spinning because i've done that a few times just to look at everything it's worth not having to spin because you get to see all these extra details in the scenes Mm -hmm. my favorite one is when you're falling yes it's just it's just so good how they executed that yeah and the last one where you're describing about the 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 hole mm-hmm. the rabbit hole the escape you know it's classic yeah. yeah and it's so simple it's not extravagant it's not flashy it's just it's to the point i mean it's yeah. it's so effective <laughs> well and, and we can go even further full circle to an earlier topic tonight um you know, with the success of the original film, Disney originally wanted to do a sequel, and um, Spielberg was on board for a sequel. Zemeckis is actually still on board for a sequel and wants it to happen. What? But the original script for Roger Rabbit 2, guess who wrote that? Mm-hmm. None other than J.J. Abrams. Back no in way. 1989. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So it, it's gone through several rewrites, obviously, since then. And Zemeckis is actually still, as, as recently as 2016, is on record as saying the idea, the script is dynamite and he's all go. But he, he doesn't think Disney will ever greenlight the sequel to it. But I would love well, it if it happened. Well, I mean, look. So uh, I have conflicting thoughts on this now because three years ago, I think we were in a much different place as far as Hollywood is concerned uh, because of some of the things that have come to light and the way that things are treated in Hollywood now. So I I wouldn't be surprised if Disney was a lot more cautious about putting something like this, especially not knowing what was in the sequel, right? But Mm -hmm. knowing what Mm -hmm. was in the first one there was a lot of gags that would not fly you know in in a film nowadays right especially for anything that's disney branded with that said we're also now in a time where disney owns fox and bob Iger has gone on record as saying that deadpool will remain r-rated yeah so that almost leads me to believe that whatever studio they use to continue you know, films like that, because obviously Deadpool and X-Men is all going back into Marvel Studios. But any other films that they continue to produce that will have that R tag or PG-13 tag that's normally Mm -hmm. not part of the Disney universe, I'm sure they'll find a way to possibly greenlight this. Yeah, I would love it if that happened. You know, there's been lots of ideas for the sequel the the current sequel is um, basically a remake of a film called The Stooge, um, which also takes place in the 40s, but has a Nazi element to it. So, you know, kind of like Indiana Jones, like the Nazis are mm-hmm. the bad guys in it and, it. and it's basically a prequel. And it's how Roger eventually meets like rescues and meets Jessica who has been kidnapped and is being forced to do Nazi propaganda films. Uh, So again, much more gritty and dark than you would 
consider a Disney film, but that's why they did it under Touchstone. Uh, I would I would love it if they did something like that. You know, they even have planned to do a CGI Bob Hoskins, which Whoa. would be interesting to say the least. Um, Bob Hoskins plays Eddie Valiant in the film, and it's one of my very favorite Hoskins roles. He's a genius. Yeah. Not Mario. And, and he is dearly missed. Definitely not Mario. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, our friend over at Hilt Radio, Liam, has talked about his idea for a sequel. And I think it's genius. I love his idea for it. And it's basically another prequel idea. But it's basically the Valiant Brothers, like, telling their backstories. So we would get mm-hmm. to meet a young Eddie Valiant and his brother Ooh. as they started their detective business. And I think that would be a very compelling story. I like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, thinking thinking about it now, I almost feel like I would love to see both of those, but I would not want to see them branded as a sequel or prequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm. Because I think part of the magic of Who Framed Roger Rabbit was all the characters that were a part of it that would not sure. be a part of these other films. And there were a lot of other cartoon properties that were around and available, especially if you're doing a prequel, that just all of a sudden wouldn't show up because Disney possibly would not want to pay royalties to a studio. And the way that acquiring rights works these days, they would Mm -hmm. be paying for years and decades and decades to come. So it's not something that I think Disney would want to get into. And I almost would want to see that just as a film on its own without Roger Rabbit branding on it. Yeah. I, I could see that. I, I could definitely see that. I, you know, whatever the case, I don't, I'm on record as saying I don't need sequels for most movies. So I'm fine with them never doing one. I think Roger Rabbit is one of their best movies in the modern era. Uh it, I guess it's kind of old now. Some people might not consider that modern anymore. But, uh, (laughs) you know, if they did a sequel to this, I think there's a lot of really compelling stories they could tell. You know, they did a bunch of Roger Rabbit shorts. Yeah. But they were all in the premise of they were just the shorts that he was making as an actor in short films. You know, part of that whole synopsis of the movie. So they didn't really further the the real story of it. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of storytelling potential left there. Uh, and it's a shame that the IP world is prohibitive of something like that happening ever again. Well, there's always Disney plus. Yeah. And I'd be happy with more <laughs> shorts. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I think the shorts yeah. are great. Uh, did you guys know that Harrison Ford almost got the role of Eddie Valiant? Yes. What? Also, also, Bill Murray was considered. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Think like Bill that, Murray would have been good. Like that actually yeah. could be a whole episode. The history of Who Framed Roger Rabbit and like its production, like that could definitely be a whole episode because, I mean, it started in eighty one and goes all the way to eighty eight, mm-hmm. and a lot happened. A lot of ideas changed. Uh, yeah, it, 
there's a lot of stuff that's I had to like cut out a lot of material or else I would have been talking for an hour just on the film because oh, I, I, I do love it. It's one of my very favorites. Yeah, I, I love that you included a lot of the history of the film because it is so rich in history. Uh, you learn a lot just from watching special features and stuff like that on the DVD. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. By the way, like Gavin said earlier, if you haven't seen it, try to acquire a copy of this. Uh, I've seen it fortunately slash unfortunately in the bargain bins of plenty of big box stores. <laughs> I just recently acquired the twenty five uh, the twenty fifth anniversary edition of Roger Rabbit mm. on DVD for five dollars. So yep. if you go out into the bargain bins, I'm sure that you will find yourself a copy anywhere from three to six dollars. It is worth that money. I don't know if yeah. this is going to be on Disney Plus, but from now until then, you probably spend five bucks on a cup of coffee. Okay, so <laughs> spend it on something that is going to be fun to watch. Um, there's a lot of special features, uh, including stuff on a lot of the cartoons that just never made it into the film because they mm-hmm. couldn't acquire the rights, like the Fleischer stuff that never mm-hmm. made it in there. Um, it, it's so good. I mean, I I can't recommend it enough. Uh, I am almost ashamed to say that even with kids, I very rarely go on to that attraction because the kids don't necessarily love spinning or going on that stuff. You know, they're very mm. they they have their set attractions that they like to go on. And I remember everything that you were talking about because I've been on the attraction. But would you be surprised to hear that it's been, <clears throat> over a decade since I wrote that attraction? No, I, I believe it. I wouldn't be surprised by that. And and I think that's true of a lot of people. That's why I'm encouraging everybody to, you know, do it again for the first time in forever. Yeah. Uh I, because it it is it's really good, you know. I I yeah. think it's it's way up there when we make a list of the Disneyland Resort dark rides. For me, it's in the top Three or four at least. And then also, um, you know, if you go by and you don't have a fast pass, if you see that it's 30 minutes, it's worth it. Oh, yeah. Um, that... I, I would definitely stand in line for 30 minutes yeah. because, like you mentioned, the queue itself, mm-hmm. there's a lot to see. Yeah. There's Tons. a whole lot to see. Yeah. yeah. So definitely check it out. And unlike Peter Pan, by the way, if you rope drop a cartoon spin, when you get there you're walking into like a five minute wait time. Unlike Peter Pan, where before rope drop, it's already at six hours. Right. (laughs) Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's awesome, dude. Thank you for that history on cartoon spin. And thank you for that little bit of history on who framed Roger rabbit as well. Uh, man, I, I feel like I need to go write this now for real. Yeah. Right. So (laughs) let's just go to the park guys. Let's do this. All right. We still got time. So let's end the episode. (laughs) Let's get this over with so we can go ride. (laughs) If you guys have any comments, remember you can join the conversation over on podcasters.com slash 252. Let us know when the last time you rode Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin was. Remember, it's been over a decade for me. So, you know, if it's been longer than that for you, there's no shame in it. But that's why we're mentioning it so that you give it another chance. And like Gavin said, you discover it for the first time in forever for the first time. Song not started. Uh, you can also join the conversation over on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. And also remember that if you buy stuff on Amazon, 
Another great way to help out the podcast is by starting that journey at podcasters.com slash Amazon the next time you need to make a purchase. Click on the big old Amazon button that's on that page. It'll take you to Amazon using our special link, and anything that you purchase will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon because we are mentioning them on this podcast. And to everybody that's taking the few extra seconds to do that, we truly appreciate it, and we thank you for that support as well. And that's going to wrap it up. Any final and closing comments before we close up this show? Can I put out an apology? Because I kind of forgot something <laughs> in the last episode. One of the biggest nods in Toontown is actually the WDI initials in the hills. Ooh. So oh. if anybody heard the last week's episode, I apologize. Yeah. Wait, I, I don't me. know I'm what like, this oh, is. I, you, have, you have to tell me what this is. So in the far corner of the land itself, uh-huh. it's kind of hidden, uh-huh. but you could see the three initials oh. and they're kind of like, they look like the, um, they look like the mountain. They look like the bushes, but it's there and it's WDI. So is it on the, if you're in the it's land, the like left. facing the hills, is it on the left? Yes. Yeah, it's okay. on the left It's kind of tucked away too. Oh man. I'm going to have to go back and see that. That's cool. Well, now we have two things to do in Toontown. <laughs> might be too dark by Very now, cool. though. Uh, before we wrap, I did want to give a special shout out to uh, somebody I met in the parks today. Um, I actually got to meet uh, another artist who does a lot of Disney-inspired art, uh, who I've followed for a long time, and he recently did a series of incredible illustrations. He did one of Sleeping Beauty Castle, one of Cinderella Castle, and then one of the Sleeping Beauty Castle in Disneyland Paris. And they're fantastic illustrations. I tracked him down in the park today and uh, acquired one from him. But his name is Hayden Evans, and his Instagram is Hayden Evans Art. That's H A Y D E N E V A N S. And uh, Hayden, you'll be interested to know that he actually works at the Disneyland train. What? He's a cast Ooh. member. He's an incredible artist and one of the nicest guys I've ever met. So just wanted to give him a special shout out. If you like Disney art, go give him a follow. Go say hi to him at the train. And yeah, he's awesome. Dude, I didn't know that he was a cast member. You know, I've, yeah. I've seen his art before. I will agree. He's a fantastic artist. One of the yeah. pieces that he posted not too long ago was an amazing piece on Phantom Manor. And yep. I, I just feel like I need that in my collection as well. So I know exactly who you're talking about. You, yeah, you've, you've seen his work. You may have met him. He's done. He did a lot of the Popzilla shows when they were still doing those. Like he was at the Haunted uh, okay. Mansion show and... Yeah, so you, you've probably seen his work. He also does a lot of art for the art galleries at Knott's Berry Farm as well. He does a lot of their right art on. shows. Right so, yeah, he yeah. sounds this familiar. Is awesome. um, I may have actually met him because I know I know the name is definitely familiar, which is how yeah. I knew about the Phantom Manor piece. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if he's any in any of my photos from the Foolish Mortals show. I'm going to have to go he back. He probably is. He yeah. probably is. Yeah. Maybe. All right. Well, shout out. That is awesome. It's always fantastic to meet uh, very talented and creative people as we get a chance Mm -hmm. to walk around the parks. And oh, by the way, 
Uh, speaking of creative, this is in no way trying to toot my own horn or anything, but we have two new T-shirts in the gear section of podcateers.com. <laughs> if you head on over, actually, we have three. We have a couple more designs that are dedicated to the anniversary of the Haunted Mansion this year. We have the Foolish shirt, because that's what we are, right? According to the (laughs) attraction, we are just foolish and mortals. So there's a couple of new shirts that pay homage to that particular phrase in the gear section. And, of course, there is a new shirt that pays homage to the Evil Queen because she's awesome. I don't care what uh-huh. you say. She's the original awesome. villain. <laughs> Anyhow, it's time to end this episode. It's time to possibly try to go write cartoon spin, but it's too late and too dark to see that. Oh, wait, it might be closed by now because yep. time closes early. Okay, that's fine. It's for another day. <laughs> so until next time, <laughs> keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone. Bye, everyone. Made you look.